Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. League pass opening night is in the books. Victor Wembanyama's debut is in the books. So we're going to touch on at least a little bit every single game. I can't tell you that I watched more than a few minutes of every single game, but we'll at least have something from him because that's what tradition demands. And we've only got a few teams that have yet to debut as of this point. So let's begin with Victor Wembanyama. It was definitely a, you know, first game experience for Wembenyama, like a lot of guys getting used to the way that NBA officials call things in the first like week of the season and got called, you know, was in foul trouble, which is why Wembenyama only played 23 minutes. But he showed a lot in those 23 minutes to remind you why he's so special, including three made three pointers, uh, a couple of nice like. Anthony Davis, I, I there are lots of guys you credit, but I think of AD with this of like contest a shot, run down the floor, try to get a seal, that type of stuff. Had some good passes too, and so it wasn't the like all around Wembenyama dominant performance, like kind of like what you and I saw in the first quarter of that game against the Warriors. But he certainly showed himself well when on the floor. I find it very frustrating personally. Uh, because uh, now Grant Williams, if you had to say who's a guy who has some pretty good experience guarding guys like him, uh, Grant Williams would be one of them. And I was, I would say that this was kind of more, if you had said that preseason hadn't happened, this would have kind of been a little bit more what I might have expected from him in terms of one-on-one offense. Really was not able to get separation against Grant Williams. And Grant Williams had himself a, a very nice game in this one with 17 points, four of eight from three. He's going to get a lot of open three-pointers playing in this offense with Luca, and I think he's going to knock him down. So he got into Victor's body. Victor really couldn't beat him one-on-one. And they tried to do a little bit of off-ball screening for him. I think Grant Williams was able to kind of deal with that and use his bulk to get underneath Wembenyama in a way that, say, Andrew Wiggins, who was guarding him in the last preseason game, wasn't able to do. And obviously there's a level of scouting that had occurred particularly for the opening game that you didn't see in preseason. Uh, So yeah, Victor really was not able to do much in transition as a ball handler, as we've seen, wasn't able to get separation in the post. Really a good shooting night from three, three out of five kind of rescued his uh, efficiency. Uh, He also had five turnovers, including a a few offensive fouls, as he noted. So I I thought that part was maybe a little bit disappointing, but also maybe... uh, an indication that we're a little too aggressive on what he might be able to do in terms of self-created offense. What I found frustrating about it, though, like that, uh, yeah, maybe they could have put him in a little bit better position to succeed with like, you know, running a four or five pick and roll and letting him isolate against the center. Like he hit a three in Derek Lively's eye, you know, try to get him a better matchup potentially. So they could have done that. I just felt, though, that on both ends, he just wasn't put in the position where he could have most affected this game. But as we noted, I think in preseason, it's not about that. It's about trying to allow him to explore the studio space, kind of lessen the pounding on him a little bit. And, you know, it could be that we'll look back on this season kind of the way we look back on Kevin Durant's one year in Seattle where he was playing the two the whole year. 
That's an interesting thought, and, and certainly one that, that is potentially valid in terms of just seeing things and, and set, setting the table. And we wondered kind of how San Antonio's lineups were going to work, and they are playing, you know, no traditional point guard in the starting lineup, though Trey Jones did play 25 minutes. So, like, they, he's what they what they do kind of in the point guard spot, and then Jer- so Jeremy Sohan with the ball in his hands a lot. I thought there were times where that worked well. He did make a couple of threes where they basically just, but Dallas basically just left him open, and he was able to make those. But the most interesting kind of tactical part of this game for me happened at the very beginning, which is Jason Kidd started the game with in part because um, Dwight Powell is is ill. I don't know where he would have fit well, in. Well, so but before you change change the subject, anything else we wanted to talk about with Wembenyama? Well, that's I, that's, I, that's I, where I'm going. More that. That's oh, where okay, I'm going. Sorry, go ahead. Um, and so Dallas started Kyrie and Luca, of course, Moxie Kleba, Grant Williams, and Derek Jones Jr. And I thought that Pop did something very good there, which was in the early going, Wembenyama guarded finger quotes, Derek Jones Jr., and that allowed him to rove and really disrupt. And that is the sales pitch for having Wembenyama play nominally the four rather than the five, though we have seen centers do that even even when they're the the only big out there, Robert Williams at times, there are others who have done that before. So that I thought that were, did, had some really nice benefits for them. But most teams don't play a Derek Jones Jr. who only ended up logging 12 minutes in this contest in part because of that. So you can go to it sometimes, but more often it's going to be, you know, they're playing a four like Grant Williams, who well, I'm not saying Wemby was the primary matchup there all the time, but who San Antonio kept on leaving. And like, if you're going to ask Grant Williams to take set shot threes, like he's going to make a lot of those. Yeah, I thought so. And this is probably the most difficult team just about for him to play the four against. And that's why it's good experience. And, you know, the Spurs, I, I think for a long time, even as the league was going towards more stretch fours and smaller lineups, like they started two bigs. And that's part of why they were able to be one of the best defenses in the league through the middle of the last decade, because they kind of stayed big and they're able to do enough uh, offensively around that. So, yeah, I'm not saying that, like, even when he's fully four in the picture, like, shouldn't play any four. Uh, again, considering how thin he is, it'll be a while, if ever, before he's someone that you really want banging in the middle of the lane. But against this spread pick and roll attack and human three-point field goal assist generator, Luka Doncic, he's going to put Victor into difficulty on the back line. And that's probably something he needs to get better at. And you mentioned how Grant Williams got a lot of open threes. And I also thought Victor, just uh, after that initial jag guarding Derek Jones Jr., wasn't really able to affect much at the rim. Maybe some of that was the foul trouble, but some of it was just that he doesn't really move. Like he doesn't have the instinct. Like he's certainly will chase on the perimeter. I thought even him contesting some threes that looked good at times, but he doesn't have that instinct yet. Giannis style to also really get into the paint. And there are a few times where guys would drive. He was kind of hanging out at the free throw line, not really guarding anybody and just never reacted. Uh, And I'd love to see with him get to the basket and disrupt with the same velocity that he gets out to the perimeter to disrupt. Uh, Now, this is a team that's never going to post up. They're never going to get an offensive rebound pretty much. Although Lively uh, had some moments there. We'll talk more about him momentarily. Uh, But but he's not going to like, you know, muscle you out of the way. He's going to fly in and, and try to dunk it. So like there wasn't really that strength matchup. And so Victor comes back in with five fouls, seven minutes to go in the game. He basically hasn't played in the second half. Uh, and they put him in center and they immediately run a spread pick and roll with him in center and they get him in alley. Uh, and it's not like the Spurs have amazing pick and roll ball handlers, but hey, you throw it up there, he's going to go get it. He's being, this is at a point where it's Moxie Kleba and 
Grant Williams in the game. And so whoever of those guys is guarding Victor, Victor sets the screen. You can just throw it up to him over those guys. Or Trey Jones, who I thought was actually really good. I think he was the one who threw him that lob, uh, could get downhill and attack. And, you know, particularly Trey Jones is being guarded by, you know, a Kyrie or a Luca or something. Uh, you know, I think Victor could have been devastating his role. And I really only saw it that one time. And then I thought he had one decent possession of pick and roll defense as the center. And then Zach Collins came back in after, and also Victor scored seven quick points as the center as well. That's when he also hit the three on Derek Lively and then went down floor and got an and one and that deep post up like you talked about so again I, i'm not one of these like oh he should always play center he should always play center uh particularly because we're playing the long game but this is one where this game was kind of there to win i thought it showed some decent chance of working towards the end of this game and then they kind of went away from it they couldn't score it on the end they didn't even get a shot up in the last two minutes basically and luca picked them apart uh, as well and they ended up losing yeah i think all that's fair um and i i think maybe for me it's just playing the long game understanding that there are there are going to be these struggles, but I want to get to Derek Lively. And I thought that oh, yeah. Lively, someone who I saw going back to the Hoop Summit, and I thought of something during this game that I thought of then, which is I had in my notes like, oh, you know, in the scrimmages, it seemed like it was a little bit flat. and the, or Not in the scrimmages, sorry, in the, in the drills. And then it got to the scrimmages, and you're like, oh, God, this guy can move. Like, he can move pretty well. And I liked Lively's, his effort level was was very good and he's he he you know he was in the right place a large enough portion of the time offensively that I think he's a wonderful fit with Luca and Kyrie in the early stages there the defense will take a little bit of time and he as you mentioned he had that really nice tip dunk late well but it's not like they have anyone else who's going to be any better than him apparently (laughs) no it it appears (laughs) that they do not and um also worth noting I I don't think there's any further context that Rashawn Holmes DNPCD and um so the so the thing about who's who's actually going to play here for yeah, the Mavs I, I think we're going to have to assume that he's cooked until further further notice I'm afraid unfortunately but, I mean because they they in part of why they traded for him was thinking that maybe he could help them and I mean lively I think is has shown some promise and he was good in this game he closed deservedly but yeah I mean no Powell no Omax Prosper no Holmes uh no Jaden Hardy though he's out with a sprained up ankle I'm very interested to see what his role ends up being for this group when he's healthy but yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean we I saw mean, I mean we in, saw in two this matchup was good he yeah. was and so we saw two different Mavs bench players play like kind of pure starter minutes over 30 lively and and Josh Green and then Tim Hardaway Jr. played 28 himself and so Jason Kidd running a pretty narrow rotation the only other two guys to participate Seth Curry and Exum both played fewer than 10 and lively he that you've talked waxed eloquently over the years about how role men can work really well with Luka Doncic and the the nature of his game and lively has a very good catch radius he rolls hard like in many ways he's functioning just even in these like early days he's functioning like they wanted JaVale McGee to. And when you consider that Derek Lively is 19 now and doesn't turn 20 until February, that's pretty damn encouraging. Yeah, and he'll have moments where he's not going to play 30 minutes and he, he's going to fall out. Uh, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if this is like an NBA record for most minutes played by a rookie center off the bench in their debut with 31 minutes. And he started the second half, as you mentioned, uh, and closed the game uh, over Maxi Kleba as well. And certainly his gravity as a role man, some of the offensive rebounds that he got uh, were an immediate problem. Uh, had a couple of passes 
more on the ground that went through his hands. Uh, so he's better catching it up top. But he, I mean, he's another guy who's just a massive wingspan. And, you know, he did enough around the basket uh, to be a deterrent. Uh, San Antonio, you know, they started off incredibly hot. They had 43 points in the first, which is more points than they scored in any quarter a season ago. And they were 6-12 from three. Well, that didn't go too well the rest of the evening as they finished up uh, only making five more the rest of the game on a, a total of 23 attempts. But their mid-range shooting was unbelievable. 12 out of 17. Devin Vassell, like his jumper looks wet. He had a couple of just like crazy fading jumpers off a of little handoffs. Uh, so like, he he looks like someone who is uh, like that mid-range shooting off the dribble from last year, which I talked about of being, you know, he's shooting like 65% on jumpers off the dribble out of pick and roll like that. It's not going to be at that level, but it looked like pretty good. He's bombing three. He's only one out of six, but I, I love the aggression he was taking those with. Uh, any other Spurs thoughts that you had? We saw Malachi Brandom, who I thought he competed at a couple of plays where he got on the floor for rebounds. And no Blake Wesley. And I thought last year, I thought Brandon, Brandon was better. And that worth keeping an eye on. And the backup big man rotation for the Spurs is going to be kind of a question throughout the year. Charles Bassey got 13 minutes in this one. Jetty Osman, I, I cracked up at one point. It was a pretty big moment. I think it was like five, six minutes left in the game. He had a leak out for a leak out for a finish on a pass by Trey Jones. And it's like it looked so similar to some of the plays he had last year for the Cavs. And while Osman was not good enough to figure into the like closing lineups for a team that had the expectations of the Cavs last year, he can absolutely help the Spurs team in a couple of different facets. And so I, I really liked seeing him out there. I, I enjoyed his minutes more than McDermott's, for example. No, I, I'd agree with that. Uh, and Osmond got the threes up two out of six. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's a capable finisher in transition. I, I would say the third most impressive spur to me was probably Trey Jones. Uh, he is coming off the bench. They definitely wanted Sohan out there to guard Luca, and he did as much as he could. Uh, Sohan kind of doesn't have a great plan. Now, you know, he's also playing with Victor, also playing with Zach Collins, and he's going to get in the lane. So I'm like, he did run some pick and roll. He did try to attack and transition off the dribble, but he was also two out of eight from two, and he kind of just gets stuck in the mid-range, hasn't really beaten his man, hasn't really created an advantage, ends up kind of forcing up a shot. We saw it in that preseason game against the Warriors also. So we'll see on the offensive end how well that can work, but the offense in the end wasn't the problem for the Spurs tonight. They still put up a a buck 19, uh, although that 43-point first was uh, the big star. But Trey Jones uh, hit two three-pointers. I think both of them were off the the dribble when the defense went under. Six assists, 16 points. I, I thought that he was excellent pushing the ball in transition he's got good size to finish at the rim and he, he's probably their best passer on a team that uh doesn't have a ton of passing though shout out kelton johnson for uh one off his career high in assists uh, with seven uh yeah so i i think i'm interested to see how Wembenyama develops here and clearly dallas came in with a pretty good plan and grant williams was fired up a lot of people are gonna be fired up to go uh, against Wembenyama, and i think his usage just and his shot creation wasn't as good as I hoped it would be in this game against overall a team that's not that good defensively. Part of it too was just he was kind of out of the game early and they were going really well. So I think they kind of got away from him a little bit other than that little jag in the fourth. So not a terrible debut. I mean, 15 points in 23 minutes is uh, totally fine. Three of five from three for a seven, five guy uh, did have two steals and a block. 
and uh, he was even uh but five turnovers five fouls so certainly some work to be done there not the ridiculous debut people were hoping for certainly but you know no reason for concern i would say one other thing i want to mention um dallas got a lot late from luca and Kyrie, and it's not only the the shots that they can make you know luca had 10 in the fourth Kyrie had 10 so they combined for 20 of the 30 for the mavericks in that fourth stanza but the quality of the shots that they generate for other people i mean grant williams got two wide open ones kleba had i think one was totally clean and the other one was pretty close and then hardaway jr who who made shots early in the game had struggles late but it's just like dallas they'll give some of it away on defense but they should be able to generate high quality shots against a lot of teams which is why this they're going to be so compelling in late game situations because it could go in a lot of different directions it went in one fairly frequently in that very limited sample last year when they actually were like trying and had both guys. But, you know, they'll have games like this where they're hitting everything and they can kind of come back and take control. It was the full Doncic experience with 33 points, 10 assists, 12 rebounds. Struggled from the foul line, 4-7. Was not really feeling his three-pointer either, but also hit two ridiculous ones in the fourth quarter as they made their run. And he set up everything down the end, set up Kyrie for a huge corner three. Kyrie was only one out of eight from three himself, but uh, looked athletic getting to the basket. Uh, the Mavs, 16 of their 24 assists uh, came from the hands of either Doncic or Irving. Uh, Luko, I thought, had some very nice moments in the last couple of minutes defensively. Got a couple of stops on Kelvin Johnson and was able to set up fast breaks uh, that enabled them to surge ahead, but also it had a couple of plays where he just completely gave up. Like there was one, this was awesome, by the way, having Jason Kidd mic'd up in that third quarter mm-hmm. and like hearing their play calls and stuff like that was really awesome. And, uh, but you know, there's one time where kids yelling ice, ice and Lucas like, okay, fine. He just sort of like points him to points his feet uh, towards the sideline. And like the guy just goes off the screen. Like they kind of switch. Luca just jogs after him. They give up like an easy pick and roll layup. I was just like, man, this is, that's not very good. He gave up a back cut dunk to Kelton Johnson off the screen his transition defense was as hopeless as ever uh so yeah I mean Dallas they're uh probably not going to beat guys on defense very much uh, this year but given the performance from Lively Luca coming back from the calf I mean any win that you get on the road for a team like them especially in a charged up atmosphere like it was you gotta feel good about it in the end you do uh ready to move on uh, a couple other notes, Zach Collins, 6 of 10, 0 of 4 from 3. That made him 6 of 6 from 2. And they really got it into the post to him. Uh, and when he had a mismatch, he was able to duck in, show good touch with either hand on hook shots. Uh, that were most of his buckets. Johnson was really effective as a driver throughout a lot of the game, uh, but really got tunnel vision late, uh, had a couple of turnovers. And yeah, I think that's probably about it from the Spurs standpoint. And then just rotation-wise for the Mavs, Dante Exum got about eight minutes as a, kind of the fourth guard. Seth Curry only got four. Josh Green had an effective game offensively, kind of getting back to his low usage but efficient ways, hit both of his three-pointers, looked comfortable with that. Yeah, the Derek Jones Jr. thing, particularly against this team, didn't make a ton of sense to me. Now, they started Kleba and Grant and Jones Jr., and I guess they're going to try to have him do some rolling of the basket, but then if he's being guarded by Victor, you don't really want to bring Victor into the action, so I was kind of like, what? Maybe throw Jones Jr. out there because they don't have anyone else who can guard good guards on the other team, but there wasn't really anyone like that for the Spurs that they should have been that concerned about, so yeah, that did, didn't make a ton of sense to me, and yeah, I mentioned some of the other guys who didn't play for Dallas. My son had a gift with technology. 
with reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program. The world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project UP, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Let's get to Boston and New York. Yeah, let's do it. The The early ESPN game was a pretty fun one. Eventually, the Celtics came out on top 108-104. And for me, the biggest story was one of the Celtics high-profile additions, in this case, former Nick Kristaps Porzingis. And early on in that first quarter, Porzingis was the best player on the floor. He not only had a couple of made three-pointers, but also his gravity. Like It's funny, I, I think about Porzingis as... Someone who his spacing, you know, dragging Mitchell Robinson typically in that stretch out on the floor that opens things up for for drivers and cutters and everything else. One of the most successful cutters for them was Kristaps Porzingis in that early going. There were a couple of nice passes to Porzingis for dunks. But then the it was the other part of that equation that I thought was interesting, though it's going to look better against the Knicks than some other teams, is that Porzingis was deterring a lot of shots early and the Knicks overall they struggled from two, though they ended up making a ton of threes in this contest. Oh, did they struggle from two? In that first quarter when Porzingis had 15 points, he was a big reason the Knicks were three of 18 in the paint in the first quarter. And what did the Knicks shoot from two for the game? Because they were 18 of 41 from three. And that was remarkable too, because they basically, I think, only shot two threes in the whole first quarter. So they really got them up over the final three when maybe they realized they just weren't going to get anything at the rim. But to shoot 44% from three and 37% for the game, and their two-point shooting was atrocious. I think they were 18 of 66 from two, which <laughs> which would be 20. What, 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 I, might, I, might have, I might have missed part of that, but. Wait, let, let me see. 18 of. No, 56. 18 of 56. 18 of 56, 18 of 56 yeah. That's 32%. Still, still awful. Yeah, that's like le- uh, almost 32%. That is just so bad. Um, at least they only turned it over nine times. And actually, to miss that many 17 offensive rebounds, that wasn't like a, the way these guys offensive rebound, that actually wasn't like too bad of a performance by Boston. Uh, Julius Randle picked right up where he left off in the playoffs. Five of 22, one of five from the free throw line, and two of 14 from two. Negative 13, 14 points in 34 minutes for Julius. Uh, and Jalen Brunson really couldn't get going either. He was only three out of 13 from two in his own right. So I, I thought the individual perimeter defense for the Celtics backed up by Porzingis, who played 38 minutes with Jason Tatum playing 39. That's that a lot of minutes for Porzingis. That was kind of a surprise to me. Uh, I'm not sure if this made the Celtics have a big break after this. But I don't know if you want Chris S. Porzingis playing 38 minutes a night. They play Miami on Friday, so they do not have a long break. Yeah, yeah that's their, their home opener, but... Yeah, that, that was interesting, but they, they good to get a win. 
uh, on opening night. Yeah, Porzingis played basically the whole first quarter, although part of that was because his replacement was standing at the table for like three minutes. Uh, so maybe that's part of why he ended up playing more. Um, oh, what else you got from this one? Another productive night for Emmanuel quickly off the bench. 24 points in 28 minutes, 7 of 11 from the field. The Even without Obi Toppin, as you and I expected, the Knicks second unit I thought did reasonably well, though part of that is, you know, reminder that the Celtics, because of the trades they made, which, you know, we, we fully supported, we both picked Brad Stevens as our preliminary executive of the year, they are pretty shallow. I mean, so the, the four Celtics who came off the bench, Horford, Hauser, Pritchard, Cornette, not exactly a murderer's row of bench players, and so DiVincenzo quickly, Hart, Hartenstein. Um, one other thing for the Knicks, Hartenstein actually played more minutes than Mitchell Robinson. I didn't, you know, I saw Hartenstein in late. I didn't, I don't know if there was any further context that I missed in the portions of the game that I didn't see. Um, but that's kind of something there. And then, I mean, I continue to really like Quentin Grimes. He competes. My, my guess would be, Danny, that uh, they felt like Hartenstein just was a, a little more mobile on Porzingis. I mean, Porzingis mm-hmm. got a lot of his buckets in that 15-point first quarter uh, at the expense of Robinson, who just was, and, I mean, so he's a tough cover. Yeah. And, and, more yeah. su- and more successful getting headbutted by Kristaps Porzingis, or at least <laughs> drawing a technical foul, we'll put it that way. So yeah, yeah for- I think he got wrist wrist butted by him. <laughs> um, and so yeah, I, I thought that the the Celtics, considering we, we talked about the Knicks getting up forty one threes, making eighteen of them, but being horrendous from two. Boston, Kristaps Porzingis five and nine from three. Jason Tatum, who had a nice thirty four point outing on his own right. You know, those were the two Celtics that were great, and then everyone else was at least offensively some version worse than that. Um, the rest of the team was, I believe, four of four of twenty-two from three. Like everybody, everybody other than those guys. So that's not fantastic. Jalen Brown, as as is his wont, uh, two pretty rough late game turnovers, which ended up not affecting the final winner of the game, but definitely made it closer. So I think that generally the early returns of the of the big transactions for Boston should be seen as a positive. I think Porzingis really did help them, and Drew Holiday's defense was a part of why Jalen Brunson had a challenging night. But they will have to continue to adjust to their limitations, second unit-wise, and everything else. I guess we should talk about the death of my sixth man of the year pick. Yes, I mean... <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Well, it, it would seem you were you were prescient there. Now it is odd that they didn't start Drew Holiday all preseason and they started him in this game. And he was the primary matchup on Julius Randle. And Randle scored on him early. Drew was there. I thought actually could have gotten a charge. Randle went right through him, and then he, he proceeded to make Randle's life hell the rest of the night. And I mean, pretty incredible that he's uh, has the ability to be a primary matchup on Randle. And of course, you know, the likes of Tatum and Braun are able to handle him as well. Again, backed up by Porzingis to where uh, and Porzingis had the four block and uh, was a, a game best uh, plus 13 for Boston. But yeah, Horford came off the bench, didn't really do much offensively except two or three from three. I mean, was there anyone that you felt, uh, I mean, clearly it was Tatum, you know, with the 34 points and like I thought he really took advantage of some of the space that Porzingis provided. What did you think of the other three guys? Because it seems like Porzingis is kind of the number two guy. He's going to be in, in most of their uh, pick and roll type of actions. Uh, Holiday, White, Brown, how do you think they looked offensively? Not the greatest Jalen Brown performance. I thought that he, you know, the turnovers being late stuck in my mind because that's the part of the game I watched most closely. But you know, not really asserting his will in transition as much as you'd like and 
for Derek White, you know, picking his spots, he's not going to be running the offense too often, though there can be those kind of opportunistic things. You've talked about how he and Drew can get the benefit of like the worst defenders at times. And Drew Holiday, you know, I, I think that it was a reminder that he doesn't have to do, he doesn't have to do a lot with the ball in his hands to be valuable. Like we saw that with, I mean, he was, as you mentioned, guarding Randall a lot of the time, also had Brunson some of the time. But I, I thought that offensively, you know, like he, he didn't make any like, to me, horrendous mistakes, but I also wasn't like, oh man, he's he's getting great shots and he's just missing them or anything like that. My biggest concern for the Celtics is the one that I had going in as I just looked up and down this roster. I thought their passing was extremely poor. 18 assists on 37 field goals. And it's not like, you know, they were getting a bunch of offensive rebounds or anything. Like they only had seven offensive rebounds. And that's another area where they'll, they're just not going to be that good. Like that might hold down their offense a little bit for being at the top as well. They'll certainly shoot better. You know, they're only 31% in this game. But I thought that Tatum was able to take advantage of the space Porzingis provided. I felt that Holiday and Braun in particular just had really, really poor passing games. Just going into a crowd, just not even making like the basic pass to the next guy. In the second quarter in particular, uh, you know, Holiday had tried like a pass along the baseline that got intercepted. He attacked in transition and couldn't find a shooter just one pass away. Then Braun attacked in transition, had Holiday watch wide open the corner and uh, skimmed his shoelaces with a pass and then Holiday even though he was closed down decided to just take the shot anyway like his his shots it was funny that Doc Rose was comparing him to Mo Cheeks during the game with uh, Doc uh, <laughs> so, some uh, solid topical references uh, for those you know who still listen uh, on linear cable but uh, really leaning into those demographics but Mo Cheeks was like kind of known as like great shot selection no turns like I never thought Drew had the greatest shot selection granted he was maybe thrust into doing too much in Milwaukee the last couple of years in the playoffs but uh you know I thought he took a couple of difficult ones he was one of five from three like I don't think they really need him to take step backs particularly as part of like their main unit necessarily so I think these guys are going to find their rhythm like recall that Drew came in right at the start of camp they haven't started together I don't know how much this five-man unit that started the game has even really played together in preseason given that they were starting Horford so I think the Celtics are going to be good this is just a good win on the road I think the Knicks are going to be good too you know Brunson and Randall could be a lot better particularly when they're not going against this group. I think the Celtics defense in their starting lineup is going to be really, really good. And I think they can have better offensive nights than this. The other thing we didn't see any of really was Porzingis in the post. He was five and nine for three. Very quick trigger. Uh, enjoyed that aspect. He was nine to 10 from the foul line. That included though drawing kind of two bullshit fouls late that he didn't really earn, including one that was an absolute killer from, I think it was Hartenstein who fouled him with 30 seconds left in the game, three on the shot clock and just nowhere to go in the corner so and giving two free throws to put Boston up four and the Knicks uh, weren't back in within one possession and the ball again after that but uh, we didn't really see and part of this is because the Knicks don't switch the way some other teams will but we didn't really see Porzingis getting into the post against mismatches because they were just letting him shoot the open pick and pop three and also Julius Randle trying to play conventional pick and roll defense with Jason Tatum going downhill Jason Tatum like went through him a, a bunch of times in a row that that wasn't too amazing 
amazing. And anything like Nick's rotation wise, anything that sticks out for you there at all? Not particularly. I already uh, talked about the four the four guys who came in off their bench. It wasn't a huge surprise to me that yeah. those gentlemen played and no one else did. Well, and DiVincenzo, 15 minutes, didn't score. I think it was interesting that Barrett played a lot more than Hart did. Uh, and Hart, though, I, I thought he was pretty aggressive with his three-pointer. He only took four attempts. All of them were threes in 22 minutes. He hit one above the break with no hesitation. That was good to see. But it seemed like they felt that Barrett and Grimes gave them the best chance to guard Boston uh, and that they needed maybe a little bit more shooting as well on offense than Hart was bringing them. I think that's all I got on this one. So we'll get a little breezier through the rest of them. A fair amount of them we did on playback. I, I, thank you to those who joined us. We're going to be focusing on league pass games for that because of the way playback now partner with the NBA. That's that's easier for us to do for, deme- yeah. for domestic. Basically, you can't if you're domestic. They have a partnership with League Pass. They don't have one with ESPN so you're not, or TNT, so you're not going to be able to watch those games. So that's why we, we would have loved to have watched the, the end of boston and new york but that was not available to our viewers domestically so we focused on some of the other games but those are some good games so which of those do you want to hit on first well i thought we could kind of loosely go in chronological order um in the early slate we ended up doing a fair amount of hawks hornets because it was close late atlanta could not make a three to save their lives throughout almost the entirety of this game. Five of 29 overall, that is a ghastly 17% from three, including a one for nine from Trey Young. And, you know, this is a team, even without Kevin Herter, that still has enough shooting. And a couple of notable takeaways for me from this one. One was the play of Jalen Johnson, who is not starting, or at least did not start in this game, but did close because he had 21 points in 29 minutes, was a bigger factor in the first three quarters than he was in the fourth. But, you know, could be a play finisher, made a three-pointer in this one. And then part of what got the Hornets loose late in the game, notable decision from Quinn Snyder, they started putting two on the ball, and that puts the ball in P.J. Washington's hands, in Brandon Miller's hands in his first regular season NBA game, and those guys made a pay. Washington had a couple of big buckets, Miller had a big three, and the Hornets were getting easier shots. They had a little bit of a lead, and Trey forced a couple, and they won 116-110. Yeah, what you mentioned about the two on the ball, I, I thought it was pretty solid coaching and recognition to, because a lot of what they were doing once they put two on the ball was, uh, sometimes it was Bogdan Bogdanovich or DeAndre Hunter stepping up to take the role man, and they found ways to get P.J. Washington loose behind the defense. He set up Brandon Miller for a reverse layup. They set up Brandon Miller for a three. That was really the biggest stretch of the game that gave the Hornets a couple possession lead and the Hawks were really playing catch up after that point most of the way uh so who would have thought that Brandon Miller of all the top five picks would ah no I guess Wemby still probably had a better better game than Brandon but certainly relative to expectations Brandon Miller was was probably the the best of those top five picks tonight and you know PJ Washington did some nice stuff offensively I thought uh Mark Williams was a solid presence like he looked at every bit of starting center in this game hit a couple of big free throws late as well you know LaMelo didn't have the the greatest shooting game a lot of guys didn't have the greatest shooting game in this one as we'll get to but i uh, i thought the way charlotte moved the ball late uh, was probably the biggest difference uh, to me and when you consider that 
Charlotte played their their forward line is shorthanded not only with Miles Bridges out, but Cody Martin didn't play in this one. I believe he's dealing with an ankle issue, might be a knee, something like that. So it was, uh, it's a knee. It's, it's a, a knee. The same. The same, the same knee, knee that, that was causing the problem last year. Yeah. So when you have those guys out, and then they recently signed Ish Smith to at least bridge the gap for while Frank Nokina is, is is injured, he didn't play at all. So it was Teo Maladon and then Nick Smith Jr. I think like came in for like a possession or something like that. So this is a pretty dang shorthanded Hornets bench unit, and they weren't, you know, like the plus minuses weren't great, but I mean, they held their own enough that it wasn't, it it did kill them. At least we'll put it that way. Yeah, with Maladon, JT Thor, uh, Maladon getting tick over Nick Smith Jr. at backup point guard, and of course, you know, the recently signed Ish Smith, and... Lamelo, you know, I thought he was in control of the offense late. He did have 10 assists, 15 points on 4 of 15, 4 of 11 from 3, so that is correct. He did not make a two-pointer and only had four free throw attempts as well. So a lot of the talk in preseason was that he was looking better getting to the basket and finishing. That certainly was not the case against the Hawks. And then, you know, I mentioned Mark Williams, 13 points, 15 rebounds, 4 on the offensive glass, 3 steals and a block, only 2 fouls in 30 minutes i mean that again is a big number for you know a second year center and i I thought he executed their coverage like sometimes they're in more of a drop Uh, when trey young didn't have it he was only one of nine for three but there are other times when they wanted him to get up near the level of the screen and even get the ball out of trey's hands and he he showed enough mobility to execute that and you mentioned jalen johnson and his nine at 13 just was able to do something off the dribble in the half court uh, attacking closeouts had like a nice floater in the fourth quarter and uh, ended up closing it out i thought there were some curious lineup choices at times from quinn snyder uh starting with the red hawks colored uh, glasses that he was wearing i mean maybe they were just a sally jesse Raphael tribute i don't know <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm not really, like, that on board with the whole, like, plastic frames for glasses things. I think that's going to be it. One of those things you look back on 10 years from now, like, yeah, that's that's what they were doing then. Uh, didn't look good, but that was the trend. Now, plastic frame sunglasses, okay. Plastic frame, like, regular glasses, not as big a fan there. In any event, they had some moments late when they were trying to get threes or offense-only possessions where we did, they didn't have Bogdanovich out there. They threw Sadiq Bey out there at at times, you know, I think it's interesting. We didn't talk about this that maybe part of the reason that the Hawks didn't come to an agreement with Bay, in addition to their tax issues, is just that Jalen Johnson has looked really good lately, and uh, he's probably their best prospect at this point. Uh, Clint Capella, negative nineteen. Uh, I thought he he had some issues finishing. He had one play on a fast break at the end where Dejounte Murray dropped it off to him. He went up and like instead of trying to shoot it and uh, probably worried about getting fouled, like tried to throw like a bounce pass underneath a guy's arm back to DeJounte Murray that got intercepted as it was kind of the Hawks last gasp and DeJounte and Trey I mean just an atrocious field goal shooting game combined for them they were seven of 33 from the field and that actually got better late at at one point they were four of 26 and yeah anything else you had on that one no I don't I, I think I'm ready to move on um we didn't focus as much on Wizards Pacers in part because even though the Washington Wizards had a 39-point first quarter, and it's like, oh, maybe they're going to put a little bit of a charge. They gave up 
overall over the course, I, I think cleaning the glass filtered out some of the garbage time. Um, oh no, I guess it, it didn't for this one. Um, they gave up a 131.2 offensive rating per cleaning the glass. Uh, actually, it says two different things at two different places, but anyway, like a 130 to the Indiana Pacers who did drill 20 of 43 three-pointers. One yeah, of Bruce the- Brown, six of eight from three. That's probably a career high for him. I'm guessing I'm going to look that up right now. Buddy healed four for seven. Obi Toppin, two for five, and both of his makes were early. That was intriguing. And part of the story for the Wizards, I mean, first of all, their defensive personnel is generally terrible. But Daniel Gafford played 21 minutes, and then and he was in foul trouble a lot of it. He had he had four fouls. I think he had four fouls in the first half, or he got it so early in the second half that I couldn't I couldn't discern whether it was, you know, like as we we're kind of flipping between the games. And they played Muscala eight minutes, but the rest of the time they went without a backup center and they, the wizards only had three blocks off their bench and all of them were by Bilal Koulibaly playing in his first NBA game, but he is a a thin wing, not a, you know, a big in in any way, shape or form. The wizards are going to suck on defense. And the question is going to be, can they score enough to overcome it? Jordan Poole, 18 points on seven of 18 from the field. Kyle Kuzma, 25 on nine of 18. And no, the Wizards, I, I think I'll end up watching some of their games just as a way to, as a showcase for like young talent and everything else. But they showed some of their limitations here. Yeah, you also would hope they could get up more than 24 three-pointers. And Poole was 0 for 6 from 3, uh, had four turnovers as well. I mean, big surprise, the Tyus Jones, Jordan Poole backcourt, probably not going to be able to guard anybody. You would think that Gafford, Avdia, Kuzma would be like a semi-decent defensive front court, uh, but the, that certainly wasn't the case. Uh, Gafford, five fouls, was limited to 21 minutes. He was negative 23. And some of the minutes were kind of interesting. You know, it got into garbage time at the end. Mike Muscala, ostensibly, you would think the backup center only got eight minutes in this one. They played Gallo some, it seemed like, uh, at backup center. Koulibaly, a, another rookie who'd had some moments in preseason, and he's going to play for them for sure. He had 23 minutes, but was, uh, and had those three block shots. Like, that's going to be kind of like an interesting little league pass nugget for us. Obi Toppin, 19 minutes. The, the rest of the starters played 27, but then it was really a blowout after that. And it was really the bench three-point shooting that went crazy. Buzzy, Buddy Heald had 14 points in 25 minutes. He was 4-7 from downtown. And, and of course, Bruce Brown, that is in fact a career high for him in three-pointers made by two. His previous career high was four. He was six of eight, as I mentioned, and was the game best plus 15. But basically every lineup the Pacers threw out there looked pretty good. Rotation-wise, it seemed like uh, Jalen Smith was most often going to be the backup center behind Miles Turner, who spent a little bit of time in foul trouble in the third. Jarris Walker looked like it was really only garbage time for him, although he got him up with uh, five shots in six minutes, didn't make any of them. Same with Jordan Wara, TJ McConnell as well. So that was interesting. It looked like backup point guard went to Andrew Nembhardt exclusively, and McConnell just is not in the rotation, which I actually like. Quite frankly, McConnell certainly could help another team. He'll probably help this one if injuries arise. Uh, and Aaron Neesmith uh, also got some of the backup forward minutes uh, for Indiana. So th- that's their rotation. And then for Washington, you had Gallo, Kispert, DeLon Wright, and Koulibaly were the main guys in the rotation off the bench. Another game I watched early on Wednesday was Houston Orlando and in the very very beginning of the game Orlando was frustrating because they weren't they weren't generating great shots consistently they leaned they were leaning on their guards they ended up starting Markel Fultz and Jalen Suggs and then they started giving the ball to Franz Wagner and things started to look a lot better for them and the other thing that really helped the Magic win win this game comfortably was a terrible offensive performance from the Houston Rockets and it wasn't 
because they like were missing every single three. You know, 12 of 34 is completely reasonable there. Dylan Brooks, four of six. You'll take that every day if you're the if you're the Rockets. But they were really rough from two. The Magic do a really nice job defending around the basket. They have Wendell Carter. But also something that we wondered about, and I'll, when and when I really dive deep into a Rockets game, I'll, I'll have more thoughts on this. The shift away from not only Steven Silas, but to veterans and specifically to Fred Van Vliet, we wondered how that was going to affect Houston's turnovers. And they turned it over on 20% of the possessions. Now, 20% is significantly better than they did last year, but that's still pretty bad. And when you consider that they were... No, no, that that's not right. They didn't turn it over on 20% of their possessions. Oh, maybe I'm that, looking that at overall That would be games. like a league record by like... Let me look at what they did last percent. year. I, I wasn't sticker shocked by it, but that might just be because <laughs> I'm, it's the Rockets. Well, I think this was a slower game maybe than... It, it might have uh, been. Um, Yeah, so, yeah. so last year... I mean, yeah, is, you're right. The, yeah. Last year, the Rockets turned over 16.3% of the time. Uh, yeah, so this one got out of hand quickly in the third. Mm-hmm. It was, Orlando was up by 15 or so throughout a lot of the first. Houston got back into it. I think they got within three, I want to say, at one point. It was like 65-62. And then uh, as we switched away to another game, we checked back, and it was like a 20-point game. And uh, I mean, for Houston, it, kind of my, my big theme this evening was, yeah, maybe these teams that are bad that we thought were going to be really competitive might still be pretty damn bad. <laughs> <laughs> like like they'll, they'll be worth watching they'll have they'll be teams that have bad, better ones like utah didn't look very good houston san antonio was probably the best of those that lot obviously washington really struggled tonight as well detroit actually was a little bit better though they were down most of the night but but in any event for houston i mean their core guys like brooks and, and van vliet were pretty good uh you know there were moments where houston's perimeter defense getting over screens was looking pretty solid and van vliet in a game that they lost by 30 was only negative three and 34 four minutes mm-hmm. and uh well that, that's because his backup uh didn't have the greatest plus minus no men thompson 21 minutes negative 34 ah! uh three of 10 from the negative field 34 three of three yeah. of 10 from the field one of seven from from three four turnovers four turnovers yeah that was it was ugly yeah and you know he'll Rookies will have these kinds of games. I didn't watch, you know, un- unfortunately, I love him, and I didn't watch his minutes closely enough to have a super strong opinion yeah. there. I, I caught more of the first half of his minutes there, and I thought he he looked nervous out there. He just kind of had a lot of mishandles, which you don't see from him. Uh, he really wasn't aggressive in the way you would like to see in transition. They had him playing off the ball some. He, seven of his ten attempts were from three. He was one of seven. His, two of his shots early on for from three were both really bad misses. Only had two free throw attempts also and you know, didn't have quite the impact he wanted uh, on defense so yeah it, it was a struggle for him for sure i mean he needs to play but uh and then jalen green was awful also two out of ten i thought he struggled in individual defense uh, against some of the magic guards uh cole anthony went off some of that was at green's uh, expense and jabari smith jr oh four from three I and mean, that's kind of my biggest concern about jabari and, and he also was a foul trouble they kind of they had him guarding paulo and pick and roll and like trying to get over the screen which that's jabari i think is a good defender that's asking a lot for a guy who's kind of like has like a high stance he's kind of more of a contained guy than a get skinny guy uh so that was asking a lot uh and paulo it was was efficient but barely even had to do anything offensively in this one so i mean maybe that's a little bit of a concern if you're the magic that you know Suggs took 12 field goal attempts in 20 minutes and paulo took six in 26 minutes not loving that aspect uh 
So, like, at some point they need to reorient the offense, but also, like, those guys can't space it, so it makes it hard for the other guys. But back to Jabari, I mean, he just, he's got to make shots at some point. I mean, he's 0 for 4 in this one. Like, a lot of the theory of him, like, I don't think this individual one-on-one thing is going to be a plus anytime soon so he's got to really space out and hit shots with that high release and you know, he just hasn't done that he was 30 percent from three last year and he, you know over four is just one game but it it doesn't look like it's like necessarily a new day at least early on for these rockets uh other than alperin shingun who had a few nice post-up buckets at the expense of mo wagner in the second but and, and some of that, some of the best stuff right. houston did offensively was guys moving quickly after they passed the ball to shingun just because that put, took wendell yeah. carter out, out on the floor a little bit and they the, the help defense was a little bit harder jamal mosley yeah. played five played five magic players off the bench in the competitive portion of the game cole anthony who had a nice nice performance 20 points in 24 minutes gary harris joe ingles mo wagner and jonathan isaac isaac played 14 minutes had a nice block on jalen green and that is a pretty deep rotation. Inevitably, injuries will shift things around. But note that that includes neither of their lottery pick rookies, Black or Howard. They both played in garbage time, but they did not play during the competitive portion of the game. And then from the perspective of Ime Udoka, that starting five of Van Vliet, Jalen Green, Brooks, Jabari, and Shingun. And then Amen Thompson, Jayshon Tate, Reggie Bullock, um, Jock Landale played during the competitive portion, and then I think he got kind of minimized after that. And we saw a little bit of Jeff Green, who, you know, they, of course, signed to a significant contract as well. Yeah, that backup unit for Houston it didn't look amazing. Like, Jeff Green and Jock Landale, in theory, playing together has, like, some stretch, but they also don't really have any kind of athleticism. So, yeah, I mean, basically, whenever Shingun or Van Vliet weren't on the floor, it looked pretty ugly for Houston. And, yeah, that, that's interesting that Anthony Black's not even in the rotation at all to start. They are somewhat overstuffed uh, with guards, but... Uh, well, and notably, they're over... The they're overstuffed with guards that are kind of like Anthony Black, so yeah. that makes it that makes it harder too. Yeah, but that's that's not like a great sign that you're he's not in the rotation to start the year as the number six pick. Let's move on to Cleveland and Brooklyn now, which we watched the end of, and, and I thought Brooklyn to me really just blew this one in the end. Coaching turnovers, uh, really nice comeback by Cleveland, but Brooklyn had this game; they blew it. Certainly a fair argument considering they were up by six relatively late and just had a couple of had a couple of bad miscues and gave up some wide open shots. And it was a strange game for Brooklyn because there were definitely some positive elements. But my concern about them, which kind of came to the fore really late, is are they going to be able to consistently generate good shots? And they ended up scoring 113 in this one, but 36 of those points came from Cam Thomas in an NBA record for points off the bench in a team's opening game, which is pretty impressive in 25 minutes. And he was only a slight factor in the close of this contest. But I mean, as you mentioned, Mikhail Bridges makes two free throws to put the Nets up six with a minute 24 to go. And from that point on, they scored a whopping two points. Yeah, and part of that was because Donovan Mitchell, I thought, had a really nice defensive game getting out on the floor. He even guarded Mikael Bridges. Uh, At times, he had a huge steal at half court that allowed the Cavs uh, to wipe out that Nets lead over the course uh, of three possessions. And then after Mitchell uh, got called for a really tough luck 
foul trying to dive on the floor for a loose ball as Mikhail Bridges was trying to recover a deflection deep in the corner with 19 seconds left. He dives into Bridges' legs, gives up two free throws to let the Nets go up two. Cavs call timeout. I thought their lineup was kind of interesting. They put in Karis LeVert rather than George Niang for shooting. And the Nets had kind of a weird lineup out there, I would say, on a defense-only possession up two with 19 seconds remaining. Because that lineup did not include Ben Simmons and was it Dorian Free Smith? There was another guy who's good at defense who wasn't out there. Uh well, I mean Dennis Smith Jr. is one of their better defenders. I don't know that they would have gone with him necessarily, but the problem was they had Cam Johnson out there who's not as that great of a defender. Royce O'Neal is not that great of a defender to me. Like both those guys are a little under athletic at this point in their careers. But to not have Ben Simmons out there in the particular that was really odd. I thought Ben actually had a pretty good defensive game. And like if you're not gonna have Ben Simmons out there on this possession, like like, why is he on this team? I mean, well, we know that. But, like, like I just don't understand why they wouldn't use him. I, I'd be curious. I, I didn't have a chance to, like, look in the post game and, and whether that came up or not. I mean, maybe they're afraid that he was going to, like, get fouled or something. Uh, after they got the rebound, forcing a miss up to him, I would probably prioritize forcing the miss rather than, oh, my God, he might get fouled uh, after we force the miss. So they call up cam johnson call up meaning that you have his man come set a screen cam johnson because we and i were debating as we we're doing it live on playback like should they go for the three generally you probably should at least that's where your primary option is then if you have a pass for a wide open two or they overplay you go for the tying shot but like try for a three and cam johnson just decides he's gonna flop for a charge on one of the best off the dribble three-point shooters in the nba you're just not going to get that call at that point in the game on the road up to like to take a risk like that it's like no stay solid one stop will win you the game to just fall down and give donovan mitchell a wide open three for basically the win just an absolutely asinine play but he never should have been out there to begin with he should not have i will note that the the nets were uh, oh were you talking on the road because of the Cavs? yeah uh, yeah that's yeah it it is a mistake and it and and there is this weird oh yeah yeah sorry sorry yeah. No, no you're right this yeah, weird he, lingering he, thing cam, cam johnson was not on the road. yeah this weird lingering thing that some people think cam johnson is a better defensive player than he is He's tall, but he doesn't really move that well. He doesn't react that well. And so, yeah, he should not have been on the floor. And for Brooklyn, like, this is a game they they should have won against a very good opponent. Something else I want to single out, though, is a storyline from it is um, it was mostly early, but Max Struess coming into the starting lineup and firing away. He was seven of his first 11 from three, including a couple big ones in transition, some coming off the move. It really did give the Cavs a different element and something else that gave them a different element. Jared Allen is still working his way back from injury. We talked about that at length in our last newser. Instead of trying, you know, like maybe more of more of a big, maybe going with Damian Jones or something like that, Isaac Okoro was the fifth starter. And in in some ways that makes sense because Mobley can fulfill some of the big man responsibilities. And if you're playing Garland and Mitchell, especially Garland, Mitchell, and Struess, you want somebody to defend point of attack. And since Brooklyn doesn't really have the most diverse offense, it it kind of in some ways makes even more sense to have somebody like Okoro out there. So I I appreciate that from J.B. Bakerstaff. It might not work as well against everybody. And I thought that overall the Cavs, you know, like, 
it wasn't their best game, but they were able to pull one out with some big some Donovan Mitchell and defense and offensive heroics. I thought they did well. Yeah, and a coral, eighteen points, uh, two of four from three. Seems to shoot the, shoot it well from the corner. He had a, a game winner in Brooklyn a year ago, and you know there were a few. Like it also is fine playing Mobley at center against Brooklyn because they don't exactly like come at you with a bunch of bruisers. Uh, there are a couple of times where Darren Sharp, who only played twelve minutes, uh, was able to get loose on the offensive glass, but largely. Mobley was fantastic defensively. You know, as you noted, I think the Cavs did a pretty good job of preventing Brooklyn from getting great shots. And, you know, if Cam Thomas doesn't go crazy uh, with those 36 points, it's a pretty brutal offensive night for Brooklyn. There are a few of those nightmares where Evan Mobley's coming downhill. It's a two-on-one with him and Okoro and uh, Nick Claxton just stopping. There was one time where Mobley went right into his chest for a hook shot and finished softly off the glass. And that's just, given his length, like he just needs to end also the guards that he plays with like he just has to be able to attack another big and score on him you know like there's not really many guys who are like much bigger than him uh so now having a core out there didn't help much either but a core didn't help particularly in transition uh that was uh, some of his best moments uh, off of net turnovers uh, of which they had 17 and 10 steals for the Cavs. you mentioned Struess just gives them another element offensively 39 minutes and a lot of it was the talk in the preseason how how Mobley is kind of playing that BAM role with Struess and uh, Struess certainly at least for one evening answered the idea of whether he would be able to carry over his playoff we won't talk about the finals performance uh, for Miami with that 7 to 13 three-point shooting on some pretty difficult ones and uh, they also went with George Niang in the second half basically as the backup center uh, that was pretty useful Ty Jerome didn't play much even with Darius Garland questionable with the hamstring and he looked kind of limited he only played 32 minutes seemed like he was kind of working his way back there uh, he, he wasn't out there that much for stretches of the fourth quarter I think due to the minutes limit and you know Donovan Mitchell 27 points 11 to 21 and totally good performance by him and he had four steals he had a couple of great plays pressuring up defensively and getting the Cavs out in transition I thought that was a huge difference anything else you want to talk about Nets wise no I think we hit all the big points I had a couple more here you know Spencer Dinwiddie three field goal attempts zero two-point field goal attempts 24 minutes that's interesting and at least one bad lob we we only saw one uh Simmons did have nine assists in 23 minutes and but was two of six from the field he had one play where he kind of was coming downhill at who would it have been it's someone that he really had a physical advantage on it might have been Niang or Struess and just kind of went for his usual fading ready hook shot but at another time where he actually like went into the chest of the the defender and scored in center but two of six from the field no free throw attempts of course for him and yeah I thought Mikhail Bridges only 12 field goal attempts some of that is because Cam Thomas was hot uh, particularly in that crazy first half when he had 27 but Bridges was matched up one-on-one against Max Struess some late and I thought Struess held his own there it wasn't really a spectacular offensive performance for Mikhail Bridges I was hoping that he could do more uh, when you're thinking of him as a primary scorer you know this wasn't a great data point for that necessarily he did get to the foul line for eight and nine at least so he, he was efficient but didn't have the type of volume you would want in your leading score necessarily what else we got here we could go to Max Struess's former team, the Miami Heat, and this was a game that, as we were doing playback, kind of suffered by how close and interesting the Cavs-Nets game was because it also kept on, it was like rubber banding, like the Heat would go up seven, and then all of a sudden the Pistons, or even more than that, and the Pistons would bring it close. And Miami did eventually come away with the 103-102 victory. Kate Cunningham got off a tough shot that would have won it, but wasn't wasn't particularly close. 
Kate Cunningham did, though, have a successful game in his first outing of his third year. 30 points, 9 assists, 3 rebounds, 4 of 9 from 3, 13 to 27 from the field. And we wondered how the spacing would affect the Pistons. And they actually shot better as a team from three than I expected. Also, they shot better. They, they made more threes than the Heat did, which was kind of interesting. But there were a couple moments late where they like generated a good look, even a fair amount of the time by somebody who you think could make it, whether it was Alec Burks or Kate Cunningham. And they, those ones just happened to not fall. Instead, it appears that what Monty Williams in his first game coaching the Pistons wanted to do was prioritize his defenders. So the starting five was Killian Hayes, Cade Cunningham, Asar Thompson, Isaiah Stewart, and Jalen Duran. And I thought they, you know, they they competed hard in the minutes that I saw, and they went with more shooting kind of coming off the bench, including Joe Harris and Burks. Ivy only played 17 minutes. And for Miami, there were parts of it that I think were the standard Miami machine. But late, you know, the talking about the rubber banding and how the heat would go up and then the, the hedge a little bit. Their offensive process wasn't fantastic. You know, it was a lot of kind of like isolation or like trying like a one-on-one drive and it didn't didn't work out super well. Not helped by Tyler Hero having a really rough game, seven of twenty-four from the field. So I would say I didn't, you know, this wasn't game wasn't our primary focus, but I did walk away from it feeling a little bit better about the Pistons than I expected, and maybe a little bit worse about the Heat. Yeah, Kate Cunningham is the reason to feel better about the Pistons. Now, the the Heat definitely have some injuries. We can talk about that in a second. But Kate Cunningham, 13-27 from the field. He missed a couple of desper- desperation ones late. Uh, nine assists, 30 points, uh, three turnovers, That which given the volume that he had is pretty good. Four of nine from three for Kate. He looked very comfortable, took a couple off of spot outs. But the biggest thing that I noticed with him was he just seemed stronger and more comfortable finishing at the rim. He had a few nice finishes on Bam Adebayo. Bam got him a couple of times too, but uh, I thought what Cade was able to do is use his improved strength to get into the body uh, of the defender, knock him off balance a little bit, and then get good extension to finish at the basket. I, this is one of the more impressive games getting to the basket and finishing that I've seen from Cade, particularly because, as you noted, the, the Pistons uh, not exactly a wash in shooting uh, with their starting group uh, in particular. I mean, they were 11 to 32, but Cade was 4 and 9. So Isaiah Stewart did go 2 or 3, but Killian Hayes, who started for his defense, was 0 for 6 and uh, Asar Thompson was one of two, one of seven overall, did have five block shots, crazily enough. Uh, Jalen Duran, six offensive rebounds. He was the beneficiary of a lot of Cade's assists. They had a, a nice chemistry. Uh, Duran, second on the team in scoring 17 points uh, on that eight of 11, uh, also had four assists. He ran a little through the, the elbows as well. James Wiseman, DMP, Marvin Bagley won that Titanic backup center competition, of course. T- Titanic in terms of it sinking and there being very few survivors. You can go a lot of ways with that uh, that metaphor. Uh, so Joe Harris only played 12 minutes. Jaden Ivey, very interestingly, only played 17 minutes. I mean, that starting Killian Hayes over Jaden Ivey, and Ivey was struggled four points, one of seven, three turnovers. But I, I think that was Monty Williams particularly coming in uh, on this four-year contract uh, getting paid eight figures uh, and no, i'm sorry six-year contract with team options in year seven and eight sorry excuse me monty williams i didn't mean to short you there 
but I think he he's just like, hey, we're going to defend that. And quite frankly, if you want to say that there's anything that the Pistons have the capacity to do with their personnel, it would be to defend because they're probably not going to outscore you no matter who they put on the floor, particularly with Monte Morris and Boyan out injured. So uh, and their bigs were pretty efficient. Uh, Duran and Stewart played together quite a bit. Uh, they uh, thirty-five minutes for Stewart, thirty-two for Duran. And but yeah, that that's very interesting that Jaden Ivey did not start and Killian Hayes did. And Killian Hayes, despite shooting very poorly, played thirty-one minutes and Jaden Ivey played eighteen. And, and Ivey was basically only played when Hayes uh, did not. So and uh, so and they were kind of playing Cunningham off the ball at least a little bit more. He wasn't just like you know quite the Luca style of point guard. But yeah, encouraging for Kate. I didn't. You only played two games the preseason, so you couldn't take that much away. But you could see maybe what people were talking about with him being the best player in that USA camp. Uh, from the Miami side, Duncan Robinson, 15 points, 3 of 5 from 3. So that was encouraging. Hero, yeah, not not great at the, the 7 of 24. Zero free throw attempts for him. Uh, Jimmy Butler was 6 of 18 as well. So he didn't get that much going. But I thought it was noteworthy. Kevin Love was in the closing lineup. Uh, and Lowry and Hero, it's just... A very poor perimeter defending group I and mean, you've got probably Lowry's always a good help defender but Hero and Love they had to go with Hero and Robinson together at times which oh, and, Mo doesn't really like doing and by the way Kyle Lowry only t- attempted one shot in the game and it was late um I don't even remember being particularly good it didn't go in yeah 32 minutes one field goal two assists I mean, I know he's been kind of ramping the usage down in Miami, but that's that's insane. That's something Ethan Skolnick talked about. Like, hey, Kyle's supposed to be like a good shooter. <laughs> like, they need him to actually shoot the ball. He had zero three-point attempts. And in Miami, overall, only 22 three-point attempts. Like, that's really not very good. So your hope that they would be better offensively this year, not off to a great start. But as noted, like, Detroit put a fair amount of size out there. Uh, Asar wasn't good uh, on offense, but he was pretty good defensively. Uh, I expect that from him. And uh, 8 of 22 uh, from three Caleb Martin has been out basically all preseason made his way back and was one of seven uh, oh of three from three in 20 minutes he was on a minutes limit Jaime Jaquez was in the rotation no Nikola Jovic no Orlando Robinson Drew Smith who was recently elevated to a, a full contract uh, was the backup point guard so they do they seem down a guard uh, and I mean, Tyler Hero is one of the players to me in the, that has the most pressure on him in the league this year and not a great start for him. No, that that's definitely fair. Another game during, I believe, that same time slot that also got, you know, we got less time on in playback was Raptors-Wolves. And in the early part of this game, it seemed, you know, Minnesota was really struggling with Toronto's length, starting Schroeder, Ananobi, Barnes, Siakam, and Pirtle. It's a whole lot of, a whole lot of length there. Except that Anthony Edwards was able to kind of weather a lot of that. He had their first 10 points and 26 total, which was the leader for the Wolves by a fair amount. But from Toronto's perspective, I I thought it was it was interesting how it was, you know, new new coach and what's going to stay the same and what's not. And obviously not a dominant offensive performance. They had a 96 offensive rating per clean the glass, though they, of course, won this game 97-94. But they did do some of the elements that we saw under Nick Nurse last year. They were trying to run in transition when the opportunity presented itself. They were taking threes. They didn't all go in, but they went in 14 to 35, which was pretty good. Um, so, like, I, I, I don't know that I walked away from the parts I saw of this game feeling tr- dramatically different about the two teams, but... The idea, like, I, I picked Toronto's over 
I believe, uh, was that, you know, that they could defend at a high level. And I thought they did that overall. Yeah, that, that was uh, probably your biggest takeaway here. Now the Wolves, just an execrable offensive game for them. 8 of 31 from downtown, 26%. They shot 34 of 100 in the game. Now they did at least rebound. You know, we'll see whether Toronto is going to be as aggressive on the offensive glass as they have been previously. But really the only guys who got any offensive rebounds were their centers. Eight offensive rebounds for a, a team that's been bad on the defensive glass in minnesota going up against a team that's historically been good on the offensive glass that's a, a good performance in the wolves they missed a lot of shots but they at least had 16 offensive rebounds edwards you mentioned how good he looked early not so much late uh he was four of seven from three and four of 20 from two not very good uh but that that again kind of made me feel better at least about the raptors staying solid a, a little bit more wolves got a 31 three-point attempts that's not amazing carl anthony towns eight of 25 two of 10 from three so wolves could shoot better certainly and they did at least block a bunch of shots both towns and gobert both had four gobert had a pretty spry block coming over as close to a goal 10 in the last six minutes it was tied at 84 and i watched the last six minutes uh edwards just looked tired to me he played 38 minutes 27 field goal attempts as i mentioned he was eight of 27 didn't have a ton of energy on the defensive end spent some possessions kind of walking a little bit he stuck a couple of tough threes but it didn't really seem to have a ton of explosion around the basket mike conley 31 minutes they'd love to play him more i just don't think that they can and they brought kyle anderson off the bench for 30 minutes recall that Jaden mcdaniels is out with that calf injury suffered in abu dhabi so we didn't get to see the mcdaniels brothers play against one another uh but uh unfortunately jalen scored just as many points as Jaden did in this game for the raptors but that meant that rather than go to Nikhil alexander walker who is a team worst negative 17 in 23 minutes they went to kyle anderson at the three so it was gobert anderson towns up front uh, with sometimes shake milton and then conley uh, next to edwards down the end and they weren't able to get great shots with that group uh, as you might expect it was a very tight rotation for chris finch in this game where Mm -hmm. they were playing without Jaden mcdaniels but Nikhil alexander walker in the starting lineup then Kyle Anderson, Nas Reed, Shake Milton, they all played over 20. Trey Brown Jr. just got some spot minutes overall. And so that that put a, put a lot on them. And I'm not saying, you know, like, I, I should not bang the drum saying, like, Leonard Miller or as much as I love Jordan McLaughlin, Jordan McLaughlin should have played. One of the other fascinating elements of this game, watching it after the fact, was how long Jakob Pertl spent at the scorer's table. Like the, the, oh, yeah, I was going to talk about the, that. Yeah. The, the Raptors fully intended to bring him in with like, I think it was like four minutes to go in the game. And then there just weren't stoppages. They, were, they weren't fouls. There weren't, weren't really that many made shots either. And so he's just standing at the table. So like you look at it and you're like, oh damn, Precious Chua played 24 minutes. Jakob Pertl played 24. And like, I mean, I thought that Achua, he is a wonderful defensive player. He can, like, contest things and everything else. But it wasn't— He, he was good it, on Towns. I think that yeah. was kind of the thinking that they wanted to put him on Towns. But but that was not the intention. The intention was to bring Jakob Pertl into close. It just didn't ha- It just didn't happen until, like, I think it was exceedingly late that he actually did come in. Yeah, yeah, they had a very long— I mean, that's part of why Edwards, as I mentioned, looked tired, because they had this really long stretch where nobody came in. Where there wasn't a stoppage. Um, um, Scotty Barnes? Yeah. Five block shots. Um, yeah, he, he looked good defensively, I thought. He, he was a big part of why they the Wolves struggled so much inside the arc. And then outside the arc, Siakam and Ananobi, a combined seven for 14 on threes. The, Ra- the Raptors will take that every single day that they can get it, especially when Schroeder can add in a four of eight himself. That's a big part of how they were able to shoot 40% from three. That gave them a huge part of the margin, despite the Raptors turning it over 
14 times equal to the Wolves in that respect. So from Toronto's perspective, Grady Dick only played two minutes in his regular season debut. Instead, it was Achua, McDaniels, Malachi Flynn, who was the backup to Dennis Schroeder. And then Gary Trent Jr. picked up that player option, played 27 minutes, and just didn't make threes at the, at the rate that he'd like. But I didn't think he liked playing terribly or anything. Yeah, no Thaddeus Young, no Chris Boucher, who's been a staple for them recently. Uh, no Otto Porter, even though Porter is ostensibly healthy. Uh, and they could certainly use his skill set, but he may just not not have it anymore after all those foot problems last year. Yeah, and Schroeder, uh, 22 points, 4 of 8 from 3. He and Siakam. Siakam was only 5 of 17. Uh, he also struggled mightily from 2 and what was a common theme in this game. These these are both you know the, two of the biggest teams in the league and also teams that don't have a ton of spacing, so maybe not as surprised that they struggled from two but Siakam was five of 17 two out of 12 on two pointers and there was one point at which uh, they were getting their best offense from Schroeder and Siakam got a defensive rebound in the last six minutes brought it up and you could see Schroeder who's uh, never been one to hide his emotions on the floor just sort of hang his head and like shake his head that like Siakam was going to bring it up but he got it back to Schroeder in the end and Siakam hit two of his three three pointers in the last six minutes as did uh, and Schroeder hit one so that was kind of the difference that Toronto was able to make shots uh, within that last bit and then the pathos of the Wolves down four trying to get the two for one Kyle Anderson gets the defensive rebound they have a timeout left they don't take it they should have taken a timeout to get the two for one with 32 seconds left after a Dennis Schroeder miss uh they're still still breathing here you need to get a timeout advance the ball score and then be in a position to get a stop afterwards like if you don't get the two for one you're in trouble and the Wolves had two timeouts remaining at that point so they could have called timeout advanced the ball gotten a stop advanced the ball again that's what they should have done they didn't instead they bring the ball up remember there you probably need a three here uh, if you're down four rudy gobert goes for the Plumley post up and carl anthony towns who's been, tried to be a good teammate to gobert tries to throw rudy gobert a post up after they've already wasted too much time throws it away gobert can't catch it og and gets the steal i'm not sure there's gobert's thought faults or towns in the past but probably both their faults quite frankly and then they just throw it ahead for an easy run out for scotty barnes to put him up six with 19 seconds left in the game that was a seriously hopeless sequence do you have anything else in this one let's go to okc chicago we, we only were able to catch a little of the fourth quarter of this one and it had gotten out of hand by that <laughs> point okc shot the lights out 19 to 39 shea gilgis alexander absolutely torched the bulls for 31 points 12 of 18 you know when he had the likes of a kobe white on him just was able to get to wherever he wanted the bulls don't really have anyone with the size and mobility to guard him and alex caruso maybe is the only guy there and he only played 20 minutes and was negative 19 so he wasn't able to have much of an effect uh josh giddy hit two of his three threes uh, and it had an efficient performance with 16 points jalen williams j dub wasn't as efficient but uh, still as effective as a driver chat was relatively lower usage uh, he uh, had a pretty embarrassing sequence involving Andre Drummond but he was able to space the floor two of three from three didn't do much inside the arc but that's kind of all they needed from him and Chicago couldn't hit a three at all OKC just very easy workmanlike win uh, that ended up uh, in a solid victory even without Jay Will the big uh, who was out with a hamstring issue what, um, what do you have here some good shooting from OKC young fellas Kaysen Wallace, three of three from long range. Usman Jang, three of five from long range. And then you mentioned Giddy, two of three. Like, we'll, we'll see how those continue over the course of time, but that would be an 
extremely positive dividend for the Thunder if those young guys can can really step that up. For some of them, that was that is the biggest limitation in their game. Torrey Craig, three of four from three, four of six from the field, but his one missed three pointer was off the off the side of the backboard. If memory serves, that was not necessarily fantastic, but he did. I mean, he had an effective offensive game overall, and I I don't blame the negative twelve in his twenty two minutes per on the on the feet of Torrey Craig for logical reasons. Rough game for Zach Levine from a from a shooting perspective. Four of sixteen from the field, two of nine from three, but got to the line six times. Also turned it over four. And I mean, you and I have been lower on the Bulls for for a period of time now, and you know, hey, just, I took their over this year. I mean, so did I because it was too low. Forty but. wins, here we come, baby, <laughs> eighth seed. Oh boy, um, but you know, so Dale and Terry only playing in garbage time is is pretty striking. I, I thought he might have more of a more of a role than that, but it was Tory Craig, Drummond, Javon Carter, and Caruso who got it, and then some a, a smaller total for Iodasunmu. They have a lot of similar players, and so I thought Terry might stand out a little bit more. We didn't see a ton from him. And, you know, I mean, DeRozan, 9 of 20, Patrick Williams, 4 of 10. And um, we'll have to, you know, we'll, we'll put a closer eye on the Bulls at some point soon. Yeah, worth noting that the way that OKC wants to play, spreading the floor, putting your guards, your bad defending guards into difficulty with screening actions, rolls to the basket, making your five space out. That is a unique problem for this Bulls defense. And also the Bulls just went more with offensive personnel. Right? Kobe White played the most of any of their guards in this game. Levine was in foul trouble. That's the biggest reason he only played 25 minutes, although he also was terrible in the first half. Uh, and, you know, he was in foul trouble with three fouls, and then he finished the game with three fouls. And, but yeah, Carter, Caruso, like their defensive guards, Dasunmu, like none of those guys played as much as Kobe White was interesting. It's not like White was lighting it up on the score board particularly either with 4 of 14 and rotation wise for the thunder you, know, you mentioned that jang was in the rotation that's encouraging for the second year man case and wallace uh, joe masato told us to, even before training camp started that he would be in the rotation and he made three of three from outside the he did, was as advertised uh, on the defensive end aaron wiggins was in the rotation a little bit isaiah joe ho-hum another three of six from three plus 14 for him, he's so important to their screening action. Backup center went to Olivier Saar with Jalen Williams unavailable. Worth noting, Vasilye Misic did not play in this game. He had an ankle issue in camp, but that's uh, not a huge surprise to me. I was always kind of wondered why they were signing him. And yeah, I thought that there were moments where OKC was really flying around defensively. There was one possession where they forced a shot clock violation where Lou Dort in particular was just like uh, closed down Zach Levine in the corner patrick williams eight points on four of ten pretty ho-hum for him vucevic only took eight field goals he was getting into it with billy donovan the idea was they're going to run so much more through vucevic uh, and he had forces it's interesting the bulls had 26 assists and no one had more than four assists on their team but uh then billy donovan and vucevic were talking post game about how there's a big player was only meeting where billy donovan gave them more time to kind of sort out uh, what some of their issues were but yeah pretty desultory loss for the bulls in the end speaking of desultory losses portland trailblazers were who we thought they were in their first game of the season in LA. They fell 123-111, but it wasn't actually that close. There was plenty of no. garbage time towards the end of this, and the Clippers had control. Um, it didn't seem like Portland's defense did a whole lot to dissuade the Clippers, and Portland's offense was not at the level that it needs to be. Kawhi Leonard, 23 points in 29 minutes, 
27 and 32 for Paul George. And beyond those numbers, important that they shot a ridiculous 9 of 12 combined on three-pointers, which was a big part of the Clippers overall 16 to 34. That'll be important for them moving forward. We'll have to see what other guys can contribute from three. Robert Covington was the fifth starter in the stead of Terrence Mann, who is still dealing with an injury. He only took five shots in 23 minutes, but they went to a lot of other guys. Uh, KJ Martin actually played 14 minutes. Bones Highland played 12. And then Scoot Henderson playing in his first game, starting 36 minutes, 11 points, four assists, four turnovers, negative 16, though I'm not throwing all that on Scoot Henderson. And then DeAndre. Well, well, you can throw on him that he failed to register a point or assist in the first half. Sure. They were down by 20. Sure. And speaking of not registering a ton in terms of points, DeAndre Ayton in his non-Suns debut or his Trailblazers debut, whichever of those you care more about, um, four points in 23 minutes of action, though he was credited with four stocks, the steals and blocks combined, and 12 rebounds. Yeah, he, he just couldn't get going due to the foul trouble. They, they played some of their guys a, a little bit more down the end as the, the Clippers put it on cruise control. Bones Highland, a very nice game for him with 17 points off the bench. Norm Powell wasn't as featured as Bones. I mean, the Clippers going 16 and 34 from three. Nine of those makes, of course, were from George and Leonard, who was five of five. Blazers turned it over a ton. 11 steals for the Clippers, and that allowed Russell Westbrook to get out in transition. I think the Clippers had like 11 dunks during the competitive portion of this game. And rotation-wise, they basically went with a center the whole way, as expected. Highland, Powell, KJ Martin got like a little bit of token run. Batum only played three minutes in the first half. He wasn't really, he played nine minutes and had three defensive rebounds, and that was about it. But the important thing was, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard looked amazing. And yeah, they weren't really going up against a, a team that has a ton of continuity right now. And you got guys like Malcolm Brogdon just coming in and shooting it every single time they touch the ball. Like they, they went to Brogdon, Sharp, and Scoot Henderson at one point, but it was weird because Brogdon was running all the pick and rolls and just shooting a mid-ranger every time. So you kind of, Brogdon got a little bit hot later, but it, it just, just kind of looked ugly. Just looked like a young team just, that doesn't, was kind of thrown together. Didn't see any Chris Murray. It was too many Kamara getting semi-rotation minutes uh, as well. Shaden Sharp, 28 minutes off the bench and was 6 of 14 from the field. Nothing incredibly impressive from him. And so, yeah, I mean, there'll be other days for this Blazers team. The Clippers defense looked really, really good in this one. It was pretty miserable for Portland, uh, a bunch of turnovers in that first half. But this is this is what the Clippers want to look like. And uh, yeah, I do have some concerns about their shooting at the highest levels. They may make a trade of those reported by Woj today that they are withdrawing for the moment. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. I guess we, we can talk about that tomorrow because uh, James Harden won't be playing for the Sixers tomorrow. Yeah, that's about it. Clippers just look good. They ran them out of the gym in the first half uh, with their defense and forcing turnovers and Kawhi and PG looking great. Another Pacific Division team that looked strong on League Pass opening night, the Sacramento Kings. Final margin, 130-114. Kings scored 72 points in the first half. Oh, yeah. Harrison Barnes, final line, 33 points on 11-16 from the field, 5-7 from three, 6-6 from the line. He was huge. The yeah, ki- 27 in the first half for Barnes. 27 in the first half. Sacramento overall a 121 clean the glass offensive rating, which is extremely impressive for them. And I had expressed concerns about Utah's offense going into this season. And and I mean, when you give up 130, it's not going to be all about the offense. I, I do still have some of some of those concerns. You know, it's 
the, and actually, it's worth going into a little bit, who played for the Utah Jazz? Because we wondered what their backcourt rotation in particular was going to look like. It seemed like Collins, Market, and Kessler were locked in in this frontcourt. Corkson, Taylor Horton, Tucker started, and then the only four guys you or sorry, the five guys who played meaningful minutes off the bench, Keontae George, 19 minutes, Ochai Baji, 19 minutes, Chris Dunn, 16, Colin Sexton, 20. So yes, that is four players that I would classify as guards playing off their bench, and then Kelly Olynyk, 17. Yeah, and they just, uh, the guard play was inadequate for the Jazz. Uh, they got a, a total of 14 assists uh, out of those guards, but Colin Sexton, you know, there were a few plays where he was trying to, he was playing with Clarkson in the third quarter, and one play just throws the ball ahead, th- throws it out of bounds to a guy streaking down floor. Another time they tried to just set up an Iverson cut for Jordan Clarkson. He was like kind of being denied, but a decent pass could have got him the ball, and Sexton throws it away for a run out. He's just not really there as a point guard. Uh, he, he had a miserable game. He and Chris Dunn combined for seven turnovers in 36 minutes. That was a big problem for the Jazz. The Walker-Kessler matchup against DeMontis Sabonis was an interesting one. Kessler got the better of him early in the third. That was when I most watched this game, but then Sabonis started going right into his chest. He he had a nice stretch uh, as well, got on the offensive glass, finished with 22 points, six offensive rebounds. You mentioned Barnes's big night, kind of showcasing that the Jazz don't really have anyone to guard those guys. Part of that was Barnes spotting up. Keegan Murray got nine three-point attempts, didn't do much inside the arc, but he was basically getting open whenever he wanted to. Uh, Kessler, negative 14 in 22 two minutes early returns against a very good offensive team not particularly encouraging in terms of his ability to kind of be that one-man defense John Collins did play 31 minutes. Markin played 32. They were getting blown out uh, towards the end, but they're it's just really weird, right? Like they start these three guys, six ten or taller, and then they bring all these guards off the bench. And it just it seems like the Jazz don't really have much that they can rely on right now. Like they're not a great shooting team. They don't really have great individual defense. They're not really a good passing team. You know, maybe they can run some stuff through a Linux, and that looks a little bit better. You know, Markin is. I'm sure he'll have a better chance to get going, but this should have been a pretty easy matchup for him. He struggled to 6 of 15, and the Jazz did keep the Kings out of transition statistically, but some of what the Kings do is the running after makes, They, and particularly in the third quarter as they the Jazz got back into it and the Kings extended the lead again. The Kings were able to quickly negate Jazz buckets by running it right back down their throat. Uh, De'Aaron Fox didn't shoot it particularly well uh, on jumpers, but uh, he pushed the pace quite well for them. And JaVale McGee was effective in his backup center roll 13 minutes plus 13 four of four and i guess the other thing we could say too with trey lyle's out sasha vizenkov did get uh those backup power forward minutes and, and he was fine in his 16 minutes and chris duarte also got some tick for them as well so yeah they, they went uh they went 10 deep in this one mm-hmm. last but not necessarily least uh pelicans grizzlies we wondered how memphis was going to fare not only without john morant of course but without steven adams without brandon clark and New Orleans having seemed like a pretty stable lead for a lot of this game, despite Zion Williamson not having his best overall performance. The final numbers kind of came in better, but in the early stretch, he wasn't wasn't doing his best was kind of notable in its own way. Good game from CJ McCollum, 8 of 16 from the field for 24 points, did a lot of that damage from three, also six assists and only two turnovers. And for New Orleans, I mean, one of the other striking things about this game, we did a little bit of it, dabbled in, dabbled in it was not only did they claim Matt Ryan off two-way waivers, which is extremely rare, he played 14 minutes. 
And he's six, three of six from three as well. He played more than Jordan Hawkins, who's been there the whole time and is also a shooter, though both those guys even played together some. Uh, Larry Nance Jr. actually surprisingly was back. I don't think we had heard much uh, about that. So he was able to play 15 minutes. I didn't get a chance to see how he looked physically, but they definitely needed his presence as a backup big. And yeah, I thought the most noteworthy thing was Palace had about a 10-point lead through the fourth. Really, I should say even uh, most of the second half after a 32-19 to second. And Zion finished with 23 points on 9-17, and it really hadn't done much. And then he scored actually their final 12 points. Uh, doing it really in isolation a lot of it actually against jaron jackson jr which was impressive i still don't think zion looks like he has quite the same burst he he did have one dunk on jaron jackson jr when jaron was in in help position but he still wasn't like the same level of bounce brandon ingram did throw zion a nice lob from half court uh but yeah zion not looking quite as explosive but even at you know kind of three quarters speed he's able to be pretty effective even hit like a put him in the mix step back from the free throw line uh, in that scoring jag at the end of the game and for the Grizz uh, other than Desmond Bain really nobody played particularly well Jackson was awful he only took four two-point attempts in the whole game like they need him to be their secondary score he played 36 minutes he had five blocks five balls uh but yeah really odd i mean i think he also when he gets in foul trouble that hurts his offensive game a lot too because he really puts his head down and can draw a lot of charges he's not really a great passer but he's a guy who once jaw went down last year was scoring over 20 points a game didn't look like that level of player and going against this front court you would think he could be pretty good herb jones actually did uh guard jackson some which i think gave him a few problems bain had 31 but yeah again there was really nobody else dynamic grizz were awful from three 12 out of 43 luke Kennard, 15 minutes negative 14 missed all five of his three-point attempts Derek Rose was two of four from three, but one of seven from two. And it looked like he was forcing a little bit, but then they also don't really have anyone else to create. Uh, when Smart was out of the game, Smart and Rose didn't play together at all. Smart played exclusively a point guard. They did start Zaire Williams. He was decent. Uh, Xavier Tillman took 16 field goal attempts. That's got to be high, right? My instinct is yes, I will look. All right, can I beat you to it? No, you can't. Uh, no, it is <laughs> yeah. not. 17. 17 field goal attempts against the against the Lakers in February of last year. What do you know? So yeah, good, good win for the Pals. I mean, their record was signed Williamson in the lineup. It was pretty damn good uh, these many years. You know, I didn't think that he or Ingram looked amazing, but the Grizz, I mean, it seems it just kind of seems like they're a deflated team right now with all the injury issues and and jaw out. So, uh, but you know, if you shoot better than 12 43 from 3, things could look a lot different and the Pels were 14 to 32 themselves. But that, that's a decent number of threes for the Pels to be getting up and CJ going 6 for 11. I mean, that was really the, the biggest key to this victory for them. We done? Yeah, it was, it was. In some ways, it was a tiring, a tiring night. I mean, we, I love doing playback, and the technology of being able to bounce between the games as quickly as we did was was really, really fun. And then catching up on kind of the other stuff after the fact. But it is there's this weird thing the first week where you have two games on Tuesday, two games on Thursday, and then everything else in the middle. And so we'll have time to digest it and see a lot of the teams that we gave short shrift to today over the course of Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and we'll probably talk about many of them in more depth on Sunday and early next week. Yeah, we'll do a gamer tomorrow night, catch up uh, on some of the news, and then Sunday I think we'll try to talk about basically every team that we haven't talked about in depth. I think we'll. my goal is to have watched a full game of every team uh, by the time we reconvene here uh, on Sunday night. Talk to you all soon.